Section 2 of Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gordon Mitchell. Institutes of the Christian Religion, Book 3 by John Calvin. Translated by Henry Beveridge. Chapter 1. The Benefits of Christ Made Available to Us by the Secret Operation of the Spirit. The three divisions of this chapter are, first, the secret operation of the Holy Spirit, which seals our salvation, should be considered first in Christ the Mediator as our head, sections 1 and 2. Second, the titles given to the Holy Spirit show that we become members of Christ by His grace and energy, section 3. Third, as the special influence of the Holy Spirit is manifested in the gift of faith, the former is a proper introduction to the latter, and thus prepares for the second chapter, Section 4. Sections. 1. The Holy Spirit, the bond which unites us with Christ. This the result of faith produced by the secret operation of the Holy Spirit. This obvious from Scripture. 2. In Christ the Mediator, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to be seen in all their fullness. To what end? Why the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of the Father and the Son. 3. Titles of the Spirit. First, the Spirit of Adoption. Second, an earnest and seal. Third, water. Fourth, life. Fifth, oil and unction. Sixth, fire. Seventh, a fountain. Eighth, the word of God. Use of these titles. Four, faith being the special work of the Holy Spirit, the power and efficacy of the Holy Spirit usually ascribed to it. One, we must now see in what way we become possessed of the blessings which God has bestowed on His only begotten Son, not for private use, but to enrich the poor and needy. And the first thing to be attended to is, that so long as we are without Christ and separated from Him, nothing which He suffered and did for the salvation of the human race is of the least benefit to us. To communicate to us the blessings which he received from the Father, he must become ours and dwell in us. Accordingly, he is called our head and the firstborn among many brethren, while, on the other hand, we are said to be engrafted into him and clothed with him, all which he possesses being, as I have said, nothing to us until we become one with him. And although it is true that we obtain this by faith, yet since we see that all do not indiscriminately embrace the offer of Christ which is made by the gospel, 
The very nature of the case teaches us to ascend higher, and inquire into the secret efficacy of the Spirit, to which it is owing that we enjoy Christ and all his blessings. I have already treated of the eternal essence and divinity of the Spirit. Let us, at present, attend to the special point, that Christ came by water and blood, as the Spirit testifies concerning him, that we might not lose the benefits of the salvation which he has purchased. For, as there are said to be three witnesses in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Spirit, so there are also three on the earth, namely, water, blood, and spirit. It is not without cause that the testimony of the Spirit is twice mentioned, a testimony which is engraven on our hearts by way of seal, and thus seals the cleansing and sacrifice of Christ. For which reason also Peter says that believers are elect through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1 verse 2 by these words he reminds us that if the shedding of his sacred blood is not to be in vain, our souls must be washed in it by the secret cleansing of the Holy Spirit. For which reason also Paul, speaking of cleansing and purification, says, But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 11. The whole comes to this, that the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually binds us to himself. Here we may refer to what was said in the last book concerning his anointing. 2. But in order to have a clearer view of this most important subject, we must remember that Christ came provided with the Holy Spirit after a peculiar manner, namely, that he might separate us from the world and unite us in the hope of an eternal inheritance. Hence the Spirit is called the Spirit of sanctification, because he quickens and cherishes us, not merely by the general energy which is seen in the human race as well as in other animals, but because he is the seed and root of heavenly life in us. Accordingly, one of the highest commendations which the prophets give to the kingdom of Christ is that under it the Spirit would be poured out in richer abundance. One of the most remarkable passages is that of Joel. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. Joel 2 verse 28 for although the prophet seems to confine the gifts of the Spirit to the office of prophesying, he yet intimates under a figure that God will, by the illumination of his Spirit, provide himself with disciples who had previously been altogether ignorant of heavenly doctrine. Moreover, as it is for the sake of his Son that God bestows the Holy Spirit upon us, and yet has deposited him in all his fullness with the Son, to be the minister and dispenser of his liberality. He is called at one time the Spirit of the Father, at another the Spirit of the Son. Ye are not in the flesh but in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, 
If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Romans 8, verse 9. And hence he encourages us to hope for complete renovation. If the Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. Romans 8, verse 11. There is no inconsistency in ascribing the glory of those gifts to the Father, inasmuch as he is the author of them, and at the same time ascribing them to Christ, with whom they have been deposited, that he may bestow them on his people. Hence he invites all the thirsty to come unto him and drink. John 7, verse 37. And Paul teaches that unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 7. And we must remember that the Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ, not only inasmuch as the eternal Word of God is with the Father united with the Spirit, but also in respect of his office of mediator. Because, had he not been endued with the energy of the Spirit, he had come to us in vain. In this sense he is called the last Adam, and said to have been sent from heaven a quickening spirit. 1 Corinthians 15.45, where Paul contrasts the special life which Christ breathes into his people, that they may become one with him, with the animal life which is common even to the reprobate. In like manner, when he prays that believers may have the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, he at the same time adds the communion of the Holy Ghost, without which no man shall ever taste the paternal favor of God or the benefits of Christ. Thus, also, in another passage, he says, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. Romans 5, verse 5. 3. Here it will be proper to point out the titles which the Scripture bestows on the Spirit when it treats of the commencement and entire renewal of our salvation. First, he is called the Spirit of Adoption, because he is witness to us of the free favor with which God the Father embraced us in his well-beloved and only begotten Son, so as to become our Father and give us boldness of access to him. Nay, he dictates the very words so that we can boldly cry, Abba, Father. For the same reason he is said to have sealed us and given the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts, because as pilgrims in the world and persons in a manner dead, he so quickens us from above as to assure us that our salvation is safe in the keeping of a faithful God. Hence also the Spirit is said to be life because of righteousness. But since it is his secret irrigation that makes us bud forth and produce the fruits of righteousness, he is repeatedly described as water. Thus in Isaiah, Ho, every one that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. Again, I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. Corresponding to this are the words of our Saviour, to which I lately referred. If any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. 
Sometimes, indeed, he receives this name from his energy in cleansing and purifying, as in Ezekiel, where the Lord promises, Then I will sprinkle you with clean water, and ye shall be clean. As those sprinkled with the Spirit are restored to the full vigor of life, he hence obtains the names of oil and unction. On the other hand, as he is constantly employed in subduing and destroying the vices of our concupiscence, and inflaming our hearts with the love of God and piety, he hence receives the name of fire. In fine, he is described to us as a fountain, whence all heavenly riches flow to us, or as the hand by which God exerts his power, because by his divine inspiration he so breathes divine life into us, that we are no longer acted upon by ourselves, but ruled by his motion and agency, so that everything good in us is the fruit of his grace, while our own endowments without him are mere darkness of mind and perverseness of heart. Already, indeed, it has been clearly shown that until our minds are intent on the Spirit, Christ is, in a manner, unemployed, because we view him coldly without us, and so at a distance from us. Now we know that he is of no avail save only to those to whom he is a head and the firstborn among the brethren, to those in fine who are clothed with him. To this union alone it is owing that, in regard to us, the Saviour has not come in vain. To this is to be referred that sacred marriage, by which we become bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh, and so one with him. Ephesians 5 verse 30 For it is by the Spirit alone that he unites himself to us. By the same grace and energy of the Spirit we become his members, so that he keeps us under him, and we in our turn possess him. 4. But as faith is his principal work, all those passages which express his power and operation are, in a great measure, referred to it, as it is only by faith that he brings us to the light of the gospel, as John teaches, that to those who believe in Christ is given the privilege to become the sons of God, even to them that believe in his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. John 1 verse 12. Opposing God to flesh and blood, he declares it to be a supernatural gift that those who would otherwise remain in unbelief receive Christ by faith. Similar to this is our Savior's reply to Peter. Flesh and blood has not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Matthew 16 verse 17. These things I now briefly advert to, as I have fully considered them elsewhere. To the same effect, Paul says to the Ephesians, Ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. Ephesians 1 verse 13. Thus showing that he is the internal teacher, by whose agency the promise of salvation, which would otherwise only strike the air or our ears, penetrates into our minds. In like manner, he says to the Thessalonians, 
God has from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2 verse 13 By this passage briefly reminding us that faith itself is produced only by the Spirit. This John explains more distinctly. We know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he has given us. Again, hereby know we that we dwell in him and he in us, because he has given us of his Spirit. 1 John 3 verse 24, 4 verse 13. Accordingly, to make his disciples capable of heavenly wisdom, Christ promised them the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. John 14, verse 17. And he assigns it to him, as his proper office, to bring to remembrance the things which he had verbally taught. For in vain were light offered to the blind, did not that spirit of understanding open the intellectual eye, so that he himself may be properly termed the key by which the treasures of the heavenly kingdom are unlocked, and his illumination the eye of the mind by which we are enabled to see. Hence Paul so highly commends the ministry of the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 6 Since teachers would cry aloud to no purpose, did not Christ, the internal teacher, by means of his Spirit, draw to himself those who are given him of the Father? Therefore, as we have said that salvation is perfected in the person of Christ, so, in order to make us partakers of it, he baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Luke 3, verse 16. Enlightening us into the faith of his gospel, and so regenerating us to be new creatures. Thus cleansed from all pollution, he dedicates us as holy temples to the Lord. End of section 2 Recording by Gordon Mitchell www.gordonsvoice.com